It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, with them in the, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. So this is a story that focuses our attention on a couple of things. Now, first of all, there's the obvious, which is it's a great miracle that Jesus does. But what I really want to call attention to is the way fear is used in this text. So let's look at the verses really quick and just kind of get our bearings in the story. In verse 35, it says, on that day when evening had come, this is a day where Jesus has been teaching all day, and he's obviously tired. We know that because in just a minute he's going to fall asleep. And uh, he says, let's go over to the other side. And so they're crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And verse 36 says, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. I think that just as he was really indicates the idea that he is exhausted. He's not prepared for this trip. They're just going to get out of the, uh, the place where all the crowds are. And so Uh, As they go, Jesus is asleep. In verse 38, it says, on the cushion in the boat. And uh, I'm assuming he's thinking that whatever problems they're going to have, they can handle. There are fishermen on the boat. Uh, They've sailed this sea for their whole lives. They're ready for this. And so Jesus falls asleep. But verse 37 says, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. I used to have a picture of this when I was a kid, uh, not an actual picture, but a picture in my head, that it was a bigger boat than actually it is. And I, for some reason, I guess maybe I don't know much about boats, um, I always pictured Jesus being below deck, asleep, and you know he's kind of insulated from everything. But actually, these would have been very small boats. Of course, they're sailboats, and if the wind doesn't go the right way, you have to row. But it says in verse 38, he was in the stern, so he was just... They're exposed to everything. He was just sleeping while this great storm is going on. Now, something happens where this storm is so intense that they begin to fear for their lives. And so I I think there are times where there are things that we, you know, we've been through before. We've had experience with dangerous situations, but we kind of know what we can handle and what we can't. And then there are times that are beyond our experience. And we just say, "I, I don't know if I can make it on this one. And that's what the apostles seem to do here. They seem to panic because this storm looks like the one that's going to do them in. And it says there in verse 38, they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? We're we're dying here. Don't you care? Are you going to just sleep there? Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So Jesus, the first words he says aren't to the disciples, they're to the wind and the waves. Peace, be still. He rebukes the wind. And then, verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So there is something else going on here where Jesus is not just rebuking the wind and the storm. He is also rebuking the disciples and asking, why are you so panicked about this? 41, and says they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. So uh, a couple of things I want you to see here. We're going to talk about this as peace be still. And I want to, to think about the idea that Jesus has the ability to calm those storms and to calm the fears that come because of those storms. And the first thing I, I want us to see here is that Jesus challenges their fear. You see that in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? And that's an important question because a moment ago, their fear seemed appropriate. You know, they thought they were going to die. And when you are not sure how things are going to turn out, you're afraid. That's natural. And yet Jesus is expecting something different of them. And so he asks them, why are you so afraid? Because now that everything is calm, it seems a little out of line. It seems that maybe they had gone too far in their fear. The second thing here is that Jesus juxtaposes fear and faith. You see that again in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? And then the next question, have you still no faith? Very often Jesus does this with his disciples where he says, haven't you by this time learned this? Have you still no faith? Do you still not understand? And the idea is, I've been with you for a long time. Haven't you grown any? And here he is saying, haven't you grown to the point that your faith would overcome your fear, that you believed in God enough that you wouldn't panic the way you might have before you were my disciple. So he juxtaposes fear and faith, and that's an important idea for us. We need to see that those are opposites, and that God is challenging us not to be afraid the way faithless people, people who don't rely on him, would be. We'll talk more about that in a second. And the third thing is that Jesus is the one to fear. You see that in verse 41. Now we've got this play on the word fear. Verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So now they're afraid, but they're not afraid of a storm anymore. They're afraid of Jesus who controls the storm. This is a different kind of fear, a lot like the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament that is about a respectful awe. Instead of a terror that they had during the storm, now they say, well, maybe Jesus is the one that I should really be concerned about. So Here's where I'm going with this story, and the reason I wanted to talk about it tonight. It seems to me that in a time like this, uh, fear is really everywhere. Fear is sort of the universal response to an unknown situation like what we're facing. And there's fear in a lot of different forms, and fear seems to come across in different ways depending on what exactly you're afraid of. So obviously, when there's a disease going around, we have fear that we'll catch the disease, that it will be a problem for us, that it'll threaten our lives. Uh, there is also the fear that then is sort of secondary to that. That's not, maybe I'm not afraid that I'm going to catch this disease, but maybe I'm afraid that people are going to panic over the disease, and that's going to impact me in some way. And then related to that, when people panic, Maybe there's an economic problem, and so the economy is suffering and struggling, and that's going to affect me directly. I don't know what's going to happen with that, so I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my finances. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my job. And, and then there are some, maybe to a lesser degree, that are afraid just at the interruption of life. Um, there are things that we can't do that we used to be able to do, things that we normally are able to do, and so you know, we, we miss our lives. We miss the things that make our lives enjoyable, which a lot of them have to do with gatherings that right now we're not allowed to have. So you get through all of that fear, and what you have is basically we're all grappling with this problem without being able to be certain about where we're headed. And that, that has a, a particular impact on us. And what I want us to do tonight is to think about 
which path we're really going to choose because Jesus juxtaposes fear and faith. So are we going to be a people who are governed by our fears, the things that we're unsure about and so that we begin to panic about, or are we going to be a people governed by our faith who follow a God who's in control and who trusts that God even in times of uncertainty? So I want us to think about that. Now, the way I want to do that is to kind of present this as two different ways of thinking. You know, Jesus does that there in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So think about it this way. Uh, I like to think about what fear assumes about God. When we're afraid, it's not that we don't believe that God exists anymore. It's that we have a way of that fear kind of making God seem smaller because there's something we're afraid of and we're not sure about God. So fear says of God that God doesn't care. Here I am. I have this thing that is bothering me, upsetting me, threatening me, and I don't know whether God even cares about how this is impacting me. You see that in the disciples. If you look there in verse 38, when they... they, uh, wake him up and they say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? That's the idea. God God doesn't care about us. Jesus, you're you're sleeping when you need to be helping. And so I think that picture of us having to wake Jesus up is sort of the picture of all fear. The fear is that we're on our own. Because yes, maybe there is a God, but he doesn't care enough about me to stop the things that concern me or to protect me in times when I'm in distress. Or fear says of God that God can't or God won't help. The idea here is, well, I know that God has helped people like me in times past, but I just can't be certain he's going to help me now with this problem. And, And I think this really hits us as Bible believers we study the Bible and we read these stories about the things God done, has done in the past and the miracles God's worked and, and the way God has come through in special ways. You know, we've been studying in our daily devotionals about the plagues and the Red Sea and the manna and all the different ways God comes through for the children of Israel. And, and you read that and it's very easy to say, man, God really took care of them. That's great. But then to look at our lives and then say, I just, I'm just not sure that God would do something like that for me. And then sometimes our doctrine gets involved in that too. We start talking about, well, that was the age of miracles, or that was the time when God did miracles. But, you know, miracles and that whole age, they don't seem to be around anymore. So I don't know if God could do anything to help me, or maybe it's just that God won't do anything to help me. Whatever it is, it just sort of becomes a big ball of I'm not sure. And so God, maybe he could help, maybe he wants to help, maybe he just isn't going to. But one way or another, I just can't depend on him. That's what fear says. And so we're very often tempted when we're afraid to begin to say, well, I know some things about God, but practically speaking, I'm on my own for this one. Fear's view of God is also that God can't work in a storm. What I mean by that, I'm using the term storm to kind of talk about our our things that we fear, the things we go through in life. And the idea here is that if God were there, then he would stop the storm. And the fact that there is still a storm means that for some way or another, God is is not there. He's not available. If there was a God who was active and helpful, he would have already prevented this. So, for example, in this, 
uh, the situation that we're in with this virus, the, the fear would say, well, God can't be at work in something like this. If God were at work, he would have stopped something like this. That's what fear says. So fear then goes on to say, well, we can't depend on God. We're not sure. And so that's the way fear looks at God. God is just someone who may be there. It's not that we don't believe in him. It's that we have a hard time trusting him because we're afraid that maybe he won't come through. And so fear then ends up in the position of us saying, one way or another, like it or not, we're on our own. Then there's faith's view of God. And this is, this is, what, this is, what, I, this is what I want of our time tonight. And the idea of, of how people of faith look to and think about God during times where we are tempted to be afraid, which is what Jesus is challenging the disciples with when he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The first thing to say about that is that God is with us. God is with us. This is one of those biblical principles that from the beginning to the end of the Bible is absolutely vital for the people of God. We, like I said, we've been studying in our daily devotionals in the book of Exodus. In fact, I've been reading today about how the glory of God fills the tabernacle after the tabernacle has been completed. I know we're not there yet, but that's where I am. And the idea of God being with his people, he assures Abraham, I'm with you. He assures Jacob, don't worry to go down to Egypt. I'll be with you and I'll bring your people up out of Egypt. Over and over again, God assures his people he is with them. The problem with this, the difficulty in this, is that we often take great comfort from the presence of other people. I think this is an interesting thing about us. Uh, when we're going to have bad news, let's say we have a doctor's appointment and we, we're worried about what the doctor is going to say, often we'll take somebody with us. We want somebody to be there with us. Or we've got bad news. We want somebody there when we get the bad news. And, and it's, it's an interesting thing because that person may not be able to do anything about that news. They might not be able to help in any way. But there is comfort in presence. Somebody else being there with us. And I think that's the reason why that image of God being with us and God being present is so common throughout the Bible. I have heard someone... Uh, make the statement that the command, fear not or don't fear, is the most often repeated command in Scripture. I haven't counted that, so I'm not sure, so don't blame me if you find something that has more. But very often, if you, if you do just a, a quick search in your Bible of that phrase, don't fear or fear not, almost always the second part of that verse will be, fear not for I am with you. Don't fear for I am with you. And when Jesus sends out the, the twelve the 11, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then when they start to run into trouble, like Paul does in Corinth and Acts 18, Jesus appears to him and says, I am with you. I am with you. And it's important for us to hear that, that this is what reassures the apostles as they go out preaching in scary places, as people threaten them, as they have things that they are uncertain about. That Jesus is there to say, I'm with you. I'm with you. And we need to take some of that and put that into how we think about crises like the one we're facing. 
that God is with us. And that's the way we look at everything in life, that God is with us. Scripture is even more specific in saying that the Holy Spirit dwells in us so that God is with us in that intimate and personal way, working on us from the inside out because he wants us to know he hasn't left us. Uh, It's Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, uh, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Do you notice that? I'll not fear because he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when we look at a problem like what we are facing through the eyes of faith, we know that just because God hasn't fixed the problem and eliminated it doesn't mean that he's not with us. That's an assurance we have, and that's the lens through which we look at the world. God is with us even in times where we're not sure what's going to happen. We know that God's with us. Second, faith's view of God is that God cares for us. God cares for us. So again, here are the disciples asking, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And the answer is, of course God cares. Of course God cares at all times, but particularly when we are in times of suffering and hardship and uncertainty. I think you see that throughout the life of Jesus Uh, Jesus does that repeatedly. In fact, I think what what most people take away from the stories of Jesus is his consistent care for people, especially people who are in need. So Jesus is just walking through town, and he sees a funeral procession, and at the head is this widow who now has lost her only son, and Jesus is filled with compassion for her and raises her son. Or here is Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, and he is so moved by the the weeping of the Jews he finds there and Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, that he's weeping himself. Jesus is a compassionate Savior. He cares for people. And that's that's what we take away. We, We think about him, and we think he cares for each one of us. But what happens is... When there are things that make us nervous or uncertain or afraid, is we start to think in a different way about that. We start to think, well, maybe Jesus cared about those people, but I don't know about me. I mean, what assurance do I have that Jesus cares about me? So I want you to think about this with me in in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus talks about the care that God has for all his creatures. In Matthew chapter 6, where it's not just us, but because we are a part of creation that God consistently cares for, it is for us as well. Matthew 6 and verse 25. It's a good verse for these times right now. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So here's what Jesus is doing. He is saying, first of all, don't be anxious because life is more than just the things that you need. Focus on the things that matter in life. But then he says in verse 26, go outside. 
and look at birds and look at flowers and think about, well, how do birds and flowers get the things that they need? How do birds get the food that they need to survive? It says, well, they don't sow and reap. They don't worry about working the ground. God provides for them. And then he talks about flowers and you know, what, how do flowers clothe themselves? Well, they don't toil and spin. They don't work the clothes out. What they do is they trust God and God takes care of them. Of course, I guess flowers don't trust, but you get the point. So Jesus is saying God cares for all of his creation. And then he, he asks this question in verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? Do we really think that God cares more about all the parts of inanimate creation more than you and me? If God cares for his creation, then he cares for us. Particularly, he cares for us because we are a part of, uh, well, we are the creatures who are made in the image of God, more than birds, more than flowers, and he cares for us. So, what, what this is leading us to is sort of a deeper way of thinking about the care of God, that God takes care of us and that God knows the numbers of hair on our head and that God knows us in that deep and intimate way and cares about us. So how does that relate to what we're talking about with fear? Well, what faith says, when we view God through the lens of faith rather than fear, it's to say that, God cares about me, and that is a baseline. That's undeniable. So I'm going to have to look for ways that I can perceive God's care in difficult situations. Please understand that God doesn't only care when we never have any problems in life. That's not the only way God could reveal his concern for us and his love for us. In fact, it seems to me that very often, It is those times of difficulty that show God's care in the starkest way. Because what we see then, when we're having hard times, is we're a lot more receptive to understanding and seeing God's care and concern. When we don't have what we need and other people help take care of us, we understand, oh, I see now that God was taking care of me. Or when we go through hard times and we see, looking back, how much we've grown through the hard times. What we see is God took care of me. That's what I think we need to see here, that there are different ways to think about God's care than just the idea that God has to stop the problem. So if we're going to talk about this virus, the idea is that it's not just God stopping this problem and life going back to normal that's going to mean God cares about us. It's also the fact that God can use some of these situations to achieve deeper and bigger purposes. And that sometimes through this, we'll understand God's care in a different way. Maybe God doesn't only care about me when I get to do all the things that I want, or when I get to have the perfect health that I want, or when my 401k is exactly where I want it to be. Those are not the only ways God can care. So just because there are disappointments and things that I'm afraid of doesn't mean that God's care is at issue. The third thing I would say about uh, faith and the view we should have of, of faith in God through difficult times is to believe that God can bring good out of difficult times. God can bring good out of storms. And we've talked about this a lot. I'm not going to belabor this. 
In fact, we talked about it a little bit on Sunday when we talked about uh, growing in the journey. But I'll just remind you that this is the story of so many people's lives in the Bible. It's the story of Joseph, like we talked about on Sunday. It's the story of Paul, who goes through an awful situation at the end of his life, or at least at the end of the biblical record of his life in Acts 20, and, and goes through this series of imprisonments, and, and uh, he's wrongfully arrested, and he is threatened and chased down by the Jews and shipwrecked and bitten by a snake and kept in Roman custody for several years. And he goes through all of that, and then he is able to say in Philippians 1, the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for furthering the gospel. It's actually been good. And you can just go through the record of a number of people in Scripture and see that same trend that there is hardship, and out of the hardship emerges something good. Out of the hardship emerges a deeper, better character. Or out of the hardship emerges some new thing that couldn't have come to pass if not for the difficulty. So you have, for example, in the story of Job, where Job has an incredible faith at the beginning, and he goes through incredible hardship, but then at the end, he is blessed tremendously. And so you see in Job not only the blessing, but also a deeper understanding of God. He says in Job 42, Now my eye sees you. Now I get what I didn't get before. Because God can work in difficult situations to bring out good. Think about the, the story that we're, we're thinking about tonight. Even when they're all panicked on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples could see no good thing that could come of this, yet Jesus wakes up and says, peace, be still. Suddenly the storm is over. And then they are able to sit back and think about who is this man? And they're filled with great fear. That storm becomes something powerful for them. It becomes a point where their faith deepens. Then, years later, they remember that story. They remember that time and they write it down. And it becomes part of the, the great story of Jesus. And then those stories inspire more and more people to come to faith in Jesus. In fact, you and I still tonight are benefiting from that scene, that storm that God allowed, and then God resolved and brought good out of it. I just think we need to think in a deeper way about what God can do in difficulty. So uh, let me give you a couple of ideas of what I'm thinking with this. When we look at a situation like what we are facing, which is not unprecedented, but certainly not something that most of us have lived through, uh, there are opportunities here for us not just to suffer, not just to have hardship, but also for there to be good that comes out of this. I'm prayerful about this. I'm prayerful that there will be good that comes out of the things that are going on when we are prevented from worshiping together in, in large groups like we're used to. And I'm prayerful that it will, instead of you know, dividing us or pulling us apart, will bring us together so that we are thoughtful of one another and that we're in close contact. I know that uh, if you've been following any of the situation among brethren in Italy, that's something that's happening over there. It's, it's not a good situation there, but it is a blessing that's coming out of a hardship. I'm hopeful that we can have opportunity through all of this to, to think more about the serious things in life. There are a lot of things that kind of clutter up our minds and our schedules, 
And a lot of those things have kind of been pulled back. And now we're left with the question, well, are we being the kind of people we should be in our homes with our families? Are we saying the things that need to be said? Are we living the way we should? And suddenly there are issues that come into much starker relief because we have to ask the question, well, are we really living like we should? I'm prayerful that that will be a blessing that comes out of this hardship. We think about bringing good out of storms, and I'm hopeful that there are opportunities for us to to bear witness to other people, people who don't know about Jesus, but who are thinking about life in a different way. Sometimes these times, these difficult times, get people's attention in a way that normally they don't give attention to eternal things and spiritual things. And I'm hopeful that we can seize that opportunity. Now, I'm not saying it's good that people are suffering. I'm not saying it's good that this has happened. I'm saying God brings good out of storms, and we need to be on the lookout for that because that's the way faith looks at God. So, I want to give you a few ideas of how we can move from fear to faith, and then uh, we'll be done for tonight. First of all, be introspective. I think it is very interesting that Jesus asks his disciples a why question. In uh, Mark 4 and verse 40, he says, why are you so afraid? Why? That's a probing question. Because the easy answer is, well, we thought we were going to die. But, but why questions keep going deeper if you keep asking them. But why are you so afraid of dying is the next question. And that's a probing question. That's a difficult question. When we become afraid, we have to be introspective about why we're afraid. What is it about this that is showing me something about my heart? Is showing me that because I'm responding this way, something matters to me, maybe something that shouldn't matter to me. So Jesus challenges us to probe that fear and figure out what's underneath it because it may be that it's revealing an allegiance that shouldn't be there or a danger that we have of some kind of spiritual problem that only the fear is showing. But when we have that fear, it helps us to get to the bottom of it. Second, pray for help. Very often, especially when we're talking about things like anxiety, Scripture tells us to pray about things that are making us anxious and fearful. So you've got Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, telling us to cast all our anxieties on him, for he cares for you. You've got Paul in Philippians 4 and verse 6 saying, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray. Pray for help. That's what faithful people do. So when we are tending to fear, I think there will be an impulse not to pray because fear has as its mindset, I'm on my own. But faith has as its mindset, I need to talk to God. I need God's help. So to move from fear to faith, we pray. We ask God. I think there is help in evaluating what's happened in the past. Uh, Past storms is what I'm calling that. I don't mean just the something to do with the coronavirus or the viruses historically, although I'm sure there's good to be gained from studying history. I mean our own storms, our own problems, and our own crises that we've had in the past. I think there is a value in looking backward at what God has done when we've had crises before. In fact, I think there's confidence that comes from that. 
when we can say, years ago I was in this position, last year I felt this way, and here is what God did or did not do. Here's how I grew from that. Here's the good that came from that. Here's how God resolved that. Here's what I asked God for in that time, and here's what he gave me. And we look back and we say, well, God was faithful to me in these ways at that time. And that, that track record helps us to build confidence so that going forward we can say, well, here is what I can count on God to do and what I know God is capable of in not just an intellectual way but in a deep emotional way because I've lived it before. So I think it's important for us to look back at past storms to give us confident, confidence for present problems. And then we can know how we can reach out to God about what's going on now. Uh, the other part of that is it helps us not to panic, to know God is with me, and even when in the past I, I, think, I thought things were really dire, uh, God was with me then and helped me then. Uh, look to the ultimate end. Look to the ultimate end. I, I think sometimes we get confused about this, and, and I, I don't mean to be callous, uh, but Jesus talks very specifically about the fact that there are things to fear and things not to fear. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about Matthew 10. Why don't I turn there and tell you why I'm, why I'm saying that. In Matthew 10, he is talking and sending the disciples out in what's called the limited commission. And he tells them there's warnings about people that are going to try to harm them. You're, you're like sheep amidst wolves and be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He tells them in verse 26, Matthew 10, 26, have no fear of them. And then in verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So the difference there is he's talking about fear, but don't just fear something that can kill you. There's something deeper, something more important here. There's an ultimate end. And Jesus always teaches us to look toward what's eternal and not just to what's right in front of us. So when we become people of faith, we always have that in mind. That, that yes, there are things that are dangerous and it's natural to be afraid of those things. But Jesus is saying, don't let that fear overrule the true fear that we have. Just like the disciples are filled with fear of Jesus. So Jesus teaches us to be afraid not of just people and I think we would put something like a virus or something that's physically threatening to us here in Matthew 10, 28. He says, no, fear the one, and I think he means God here, who has the ultimate fate-deciding power. Look to the ultimate end. And then the last thing is, just choose faith. There are times when we just have to make a decision that says, I either have the path of anxiety and fear or I have the path of trusting that God's going to take care of me even if it might be painful in the process. And it seems to me that sometimes we just have to take that leap of faith, so to speak, where we say, I'm going to trust God even if I'm not sure how he can make this all work. So I encourage you, that's what Jesus is teaching us in this little story. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? That sometimes faith is a choice that we make. I would also say about that, that sometimes that's a choice we make on a daily basis where we wake up in the morning and we begin to worry and we begin to be afraid and we make a choice that says, today I'm not going to do that. Today I'm going to choose to trust God. And then the next day those fears are back and those anxieties are back. And so we choose again. I'm going to trust God rather than be afraid. So here is what I want to say. 
Jesus has the power to talk to the wind and the waves and say, peace, be still. But I'm confident that that story has more for us than just the idea that Jesus has power over nature. I'm confident that Jesus is saying he has the power to make even the most anxious and fearful heart to be calm. But we have to learn to trust him and his power. So I hope you'll think about that. And I hope in the days to come that you'll think about the path of faith over fear. Would you pray with me about that? Our God, we thank you so much for time that we've had together, even though we are far flung and even though we're not able to be together physically, that we can share in your word together, that we can think about your will for us and the great work your son has done for us. Father, I pray that you will help us as your people to be a light to the world around us. I pray that you'll give us opportunities to share your truth and your love with those around us. I pray that you will give us the words that we need to say so that others can come to know you and so that we can shine our light. I pray, Father, that you'll help us to be a people of faith and not a people of fear. And as we respond to a crisis that we're not sure how long it's going to be or how it's going to end or what exactly is going to happen, that we'll trust you still have the world and still have the future in your hand. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us to choose fear and choose faith over fear. Father, we thank you so much for blessing this congregation. We pray that you'll be with us. and We pray that each one of us will grow closer together, even though we may be farther apart physically. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.